be seated. This morning, we're going to continue our series called The Practices of the Church, our four-week series answering the question, what does the church do? And so far, we've seen that the church baptizes believers in Christ, and the church participates in the Lord's Supper uh, together. And this week, we're going to talk about another practice of the church, which is membership. In the New Testament, the church practices membership. Now, the idea of membership or being a member of something is not new to us. In fact, my guess is that most of you are probably a member of something, whether it be a gym that you go to work out at, an organization that you care about the cause that they're, they're involved in or fighting for, or maybe a country club or a golf course or a place like Sam's Club in Costco. Interestingly, I did a word search on membership, and the first thing that came up was Costco. I don't quite get it. And for whatever reason, uh, when I hear the word membership, my mind goes to those things as well. Sam's Club, Costco, what come to my mind. Now, out of curiosity, how many of you are members of Sam's Club? Oh, yeah. What about Costco? What about both? <laughs> Me too. I'm in that camp. My family, truth be told, we're members of both Sam's and Costco because Sam's is right by my house and it's cheaper for gas. I can get there quickly and Costco, well, for everything else. That's where I like to go. Everything's big, which is great for my family of eight. There's great deals, not just on food, but many other things. You know, you walk in to Costco and you see like the giant TV right there, TVs, and they're like, they're so crisp, you like walk right into the TV, your eyes are just memorized. You're like a, a fly going towards the blue light and then you look at the price tag, you're like, well, it's not that great of a deal, at least not in my, <laughs> my camp. But not just on food, there's all these other things that you can get. Clothes, for example. Interestingly, someone once said, uh, you know you're getting old when you start thinking clothes at Costco look pretty cool. And uh, I guess I'm in that camp because I have multiple shirt jackets from Costco, and so do half the pastoral staff. So you'll be seeing those rolled out here, I imagine, in the next few months. There are many good deals, deals I think I need to take advantage of. In fact, too many times... I go and I leave with things I don't really need. I come home, I'm like, why did I buy that? And needless to say, whenever I tell my wife I'll go to Costco with her, she looks at me kind of like, so what are we going to come home with now? (laughs) Fair question. And it's normal, normal to become a member of an organization, whether that be a country club or a golf course or a place like Costco. We probably don't need to think too much about it. Uh, They have deals, for example, on things that we want or need for our day-to-day lives, We hear the word membership, our mind goes to these things, but what about the church? How should we think about the church or about membership as it relates to the church? Should we become members of a local church? I say yes, but why? And this is the question I want to look at here this morning is why? You know, some of you are sitting here this morning, you're totally bought into church membership, while others of you are unsure, uncertain. You've never even maybe heard of church membership and how that works, what that is. Or maybe some of you are sitting in a spot where you're skeptical or even opposed due to maybe previous experiences. So an attempt to help, help those who are unsure, uncertain, and those who are maybe skeptical or even opposed, I want to answer three questions this morning. Three questions are this, why church membership, why formal church membership, and what is our church membership process at Walnut Creek? So first off, why church membership? And here's the primary reason, is to live consistently with who you are in Christ. Why church membership is to, to live consistently with who you are in Christ. Now, when a person comes to faith in Christ, nothing changes and everything changes. When someone comes to faith in Christ, nothing changes, yet everything changes. Now, it might seem a bit confusing, so what do I mean? Well, when a person comes to faith in Christ, in one sense, nothing changes, at least oftentimes, not necessarily outwardly, physically, and in maybe some very apparent ways. You know, you don't grow wings on your back. 
right? That might be true when you drink a can of Red Bull. It's not true when you become a Christian. You don't have a halo over your head. Your face does not start glowing. Your ailments don't go away. Your struggles with sin don't necessarily disappear. Your bank account doesn't automatically increase. And so when a person puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, in one sense, nothing changes. Yet, when a person becomes a Christian, in another sense, everything changes. Just think about that for a moment. When someone trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they believe that he died in their place to pay for their sin, was buried, rose three days later, showing he conquered death, defeated sin. That person, Jesus says, is born again, John chapter 3. Or as Paul puts it, they're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, if, there, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. New desires, new love. A new heart, a yearning for God, a heart that desires to honor and please God, to obey God, and you're baptized by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. You're filled with God's Spirit. He dwells in you. Ephesians 1 says, in Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession of the praise of his glory. That God lives in you. One of the most glorious truths of the gospel is that God lives in you. And that you are sealed for the day of Christ's return. That God promises to bring you into his kingdom with him for all of eternity. You are not only filled with God's spirit, but you are forgiven That all of your sin, no matter what it is, no matter how small, no how big it might be in your mind, you are forgiven. Paul writes this way in Colossians, and when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were in sin, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. How many of our trespasses? All of our trespasses. Not some of them, all of them. And he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. See, you owe something to God for your sin and it's a punishment the punishment is death separation from God but what God has done is through Jesus Christ he's erased that certificate of debt all your sin has been removed how was it removed it was taken away by nailing it to the cross that you are forgiven reconciled to God you stand in a place of holiness and righteousness positionally before God you are a child of God when someone becomes a Christian not only are they forgiven Filled with God's spirit, but you are a child of God. As John tells us in John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Or Romans 8, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. And for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out what? Abba, Father. There's this new relationship. God is not this distant being way off to come judge your life, but he is your father. You are his son, his daughter, and you can cry out to him, look to him, call upon him at any moment. Notice that you belong to him. Who are you? Well, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. And while all that is true and much more, when a person trusts in Christ as Lord and Savior, so also is this. At the moment you became a Christian, you became a member of the body of Christ. At the moment that you believed, sealed with the Holy Spirit, forgiven of sin, born again, new creation, child of God, you became a member of the body of Christ. The moment a person trusts in Christ, that person becomes a member of Christ's body, the church. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 12, for just as the body is one and has many parts, so all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. A few verses later, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Who are you? Who are you as a Christian? You are a member of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 25, therefore put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. When you become a Christian, what is true about you? You are a member of Christ's body, the church. And becoming a part of Christ's body, or becoming a member of one another, there's a number of things that are important to understand. And one thing I think that's important to understand when you become a member of the body of Christ, that does not mean that you lose your individual identity. When someone becomes a member of the body of Christ, we don't just kind of just, just join this amorphous blob where we all become the same. You know, Eastern worldview about religion is that life is about suffering and we're trying to be liberated from that suffering. And to reach liberation, we need to lose ourselves. We need to lose our identity it's described this way, like a drop of rain that becomes absorbed into the ocean upon impact, you must strive to lose yourself in impersonal reality. But as Christians, that's not what's going on when we become a believer in Christ and become a member of the body of Christ. We don't lose ourselves in the sense of our individuality, our likes, our dislikes, our strengths and weaknesses. But instead, when we become new, we become a part of Christ's body and we retain our individual identities now and throughout all of eternity. And Paul, Peter, both speak to this idea and they use a couple illustrations. Peter, 1 Peter 2 says this, as you come to him, a living stone, talking about Christ, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter describes you. Describes us living stones in a spiritual house. I have a pile or a picture of a pile of stones here. What do you notice about these stones? They're different sizes, different shapes, different colors. And then Peter describes us as living stones being built into this spiritual house. And you take this picture of this home, these stones put together, different sizes, different shapes, different colors. And he's speaking about the church. That we are individuals who are brought together, collectively put together by God for the glory of God. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, but as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So Paul uses the illustration of your own body. You have 
different body parts. And what God has done is he has taken you and he's knit you into his body and he's placed you exactly where he wants you to be. And he's given you certain strengths and weaknesses and giftings for the building up of the body of Christ. See, what's so different about membership in Costco or some other places we're going there to consume, but membership in the church is not simply for consumption, but it's for us to give, to be a part of, to give our life to, to use what God has gifted us with to the building up of God's body, the church. That we are individuals who are members of one another. That when you become a Christian, you become a member, and as a member of Christ's body, you maintain your identity, and he has fit you exactly where he wants you to be. And this is a glorious reality. The church is a glorious reality that people from different backgrounds and social classes, ethnicities, men and women, rich and poor, young and old, are united together as members of Christ's body. That within the body of Christ, there is great diversity, but not for diversity's sake, but because we have been saved by the same blood and united by the same purpose for the same mission. And so here's the deal. If you believe you are forgiven, if you believe that you are born again, sealed with God's Holy Spirit, freed from sin, given eternal life, then you must believe that you are a member of the body of Christ, the church. And so why church membership? Why be a member of a church is to help you live consistently with who you are in Christ. It's who you are. You are a member of his body, the church. Now, some of you might respond by saying, well, yes, I am a part of the church. And you say, you think yourself as part of the church in the universal sense, the Catholic sense, the big C or universal church. So you say, well, yeah, I'm part of the church, but what does it matter if I'm part of the local church? Well, here's the deal. No one attends the universal church. Do you know anyone that attends the universal church? No one attends that church. That in the Bible, what you find is not people attending the universal church, but you find people attending local churches. That their membership in the body of Christ is expressed in local churches. Let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God at Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. With all those in every place who call on the name of God of Jesus Christ our Lord, that Paul recognizes both. There's the universal big C church, but where is the church at? To the church of God at Corinth, expressed locally. Rome, Romans chapter 16. Paul's writing, give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the church, the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets where? in their home. Or in Galatia, Paul is writing to the Galatians in verse two, he says, to the churches of Galatia. There's multiple churches in Galatia, or to the Thessalonians, Paul writes, to the churches of, or to the church of the Thessalonians. Or you're probably familiar with Revelation, the seven churches that John is writing to, Revelation 2, 1, the church in Ephesus. Verse eight, the church in Smyrna. Verse 12, the church in Pergamum. Verse 18, the church in Thyatira, and so on. In fact, nearly all the New Testament letters are written to whom? Local churches. Why? Because the universal church gathers as local churches. Therefore, the local churches 
our bodies. They are the body of Christ. They are how the body of Christ is expressed in this world. See, God has designed that those that he has redeemed are to gather, gather as members in local churches. And one day we will gather collectively the big C church, the picture in Revelation, where we're all gathered around the throne. But until that day, until that day we are to gather together in local churches. And we see that all around. Local churches are where members of Christ's body exercise who they are. It's where we live out our membership to the body of Christ. Okay, fine. Maybe I should be a member of a church, but why do we need to have church membership or formal church membership? It's a question to you. Why formal church membership? Now, there are a number of reasons that I could give as to why I think formal church membership makes sense, but I want to give you just two. For the sake of time this morning, two reasons I think that are helpful to understand why we as a church think formal church membership is helpful. First is simply this. As pastors, we want to help you live consistently with who you are in Christ. As pastors, our heart's desire is to help you live as Christ has called you to live. We love you, and our deep desire is to help the saints, to help every believer to live consistently with who they are in Jesus Christ. And who are you? Well, many things. But one thing is you are a member of Christ's body, the church. And we believe that formally becoming a member helps you do that best. Now, someone might say, show me in the Bible where formal church membership exists. So, show me the verse. Give me chapter and verse of where church membership, formal church membership exists. And uh, here's my response to you. There is no verse. There's no verse that says that you must be, quote, a formal member of a church. But do a thought experiment with me for a moment. Think back 2,000 years ago to the churches in the New Testament. Think about the church in Rome for a moment. And ask the question, did the church in Rome have church membership? Did, did they know who belonged to them? Well, here's what Paul says now in Romans 12. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. That Paul's saying to the church, you're individually members of one another. There was church membership. There was people who belonged to the church. Or in Corinth, did they have church membership? Yes. Paul says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. Who? You. You who what? You who belong and you're individual members of it. There's members of the churches in Corinth, in Rome, in, in Galatia and other places throughout the New Testament. Now how did they know if someone was in the church or not? How did they know if someone was a member of the church? Well, there's some clear signs that indicated if somebody was a member of the church. One, they gathered with the believers under the teaching of the apostles. Second, they were baptized and they shared in the Lord's Supper. That they were gathered with other believers for the teaching under the teaching of God's word, under the teaching of the apostles, and they were baptized and they shared the Lord's Supper. See, baptism. Many early Christians were ethnically Jewish. And so when they got baptized, they were regarded by their culture and their religion as heretics. 
and they were, many of them were hated and they were persecuted, which meant either literally, figuratively, sometimes both, they left their homes, their jobs, their families to follow Christ. And why? Well, because when they got baptized, they were affirming something. They were affirming who they publicly, or publicly affirming who they followed. They were publicly affirming that Jesus was the Messiah, that he is God who came in the flesh. And see, baptism, baptism historically has been recognized as a mark of membership in the church. Even today, you go around the world and you go to uh, different uh, countries, say where Islam exists. In Muslim communities, they will tolerate conversion to Christian beliefs as long as you're not baptized. Because see, when you're baptized, it means something. You're saying publicly, this is who I belong to. This is who I am following. It marks you out from everybody else and it identifies you with God and the body of Christ. See, baptism identifies a Christian with God. You're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But baptism also unites you with other believers. In Acts 2, 41, when uh, Peter is preaching and it says, you know, many who heard the word that day, they were baptized and then they were added to the church. And the Lord's Supper also identifies us with Christ. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it also unites us with one another as we share in the body of Christ. That the ordinances, the baptism in the Lord's Supper, proclaim the gospel and identify us with the people of God, with the gospel. And so it's very clear then who belonged to the church. It was the people who were baptized, who gathered under the teaching of God's word, who shared in communion. But today that's not necessarily the case in our cultural context. There are churches all over the place. Many have been baptized, gathering under God's word on a Sunday, sharing in communion, but it doesn't mean necessarily that you belong to that particular local church. That just because you come to a church doesn't mean you belong to that church. And what formal church membership does is it helps distinguish who belongs to that local church. It helps you live then consistently with who you are, how or why. It brings to reason number two. It brings clarity in relationships. DTR, right? Define the relationship. You're like, what are we? Are, 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 we, are we dating? Are we not? What is the relationship here? And there's three categories of relationships that become much more clear when you have formal church membership. The first category is this, is people to pastors. Your relationship as a person to the pastors of the church. What, what is that relationship? How would you define it? You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is describing what an elder, or what we would understand as a pastor, is to do. A pastor, in verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you. And then he says in verse 3, being examples to the flock. And he gives the motives, bad motives for shepherding, good motives for shepherding. And then in verse 5, he says this, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. He gives us instruction that you are to put yourself under the authority of the elders, the pastors there of the church. Now, the word subject here 
It has to do with this idea of voluntarily placing yourself under. You're, you're willingly putting yourself under. So there's no one forcing you to do that, but it's a willingness. Hebrews chapter 13, the same idea. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to be under spiritual leadership. And again, this is a voluntary submission. No no one can make you do it. But as a follower of Jesus, you are under his authority. And if you're under his authority, then you're to come under spiritual authority leadership of the church. That's what these verses are pointing to. And so a question to think about is, who are your spiritual leaders? Who are the leaders that you submit to and obey? Who are the pastors who are responsible to watch over your souls? Who are they? And what formal church membership does is it helps define that relationship. And it defines it the other way as well, which is the second category, is pastors to people. So you, as a person looking to me, the pastor, but then me, a pastor, looking to you as a person who is coming to church. That relationship, how do we define that relationship? Again, First Peter 5. First Peter 5, speaking to the elders, shepherd God's flock among you. He says in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Pastors are to shepherd the church. We're to be examples to the church in following Christ. And our desire as pastors is to be those examples of following Christ and to shepherd you well. That's what we want to do. We want to help you walk with Christ. We want to live together being examples of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Not perfectly, of course, but that's what God has put us to do, is to be examples to the church, to shepherd the people of God. To be this example and this shepherd, but to who exactly? Well, notice what Peter says in verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you. And then in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you. That begs the question, who is the flock among us? Who has been entrusted to us as pastors? What people are entrusted to us? That as pastors, we are to give an account for those that we lead. Back to Hebrews 13. It doesn't just say obey your leaders and submit to them. But he says obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That we will give an account. That all pastor shepherds will give an account for how they have led the flock. How they have been examples to the flock. But that begs the question of who is the flock who is the flock that we are to be examples to that have been entrusted to us is it anyone everyone who walks through the doors week in and week out are are we to shepherd just anyone who comes are we to shepherd simply people that we like or we get along with or we have you know similar interests to well no then who There, there are many churches in town and there are many christians in town Are pastors pastors to every Christian? Well, no. So to whom will I give an account for? 
That if you come here once a month, are, are we your spiritual leaders? You know, many people, they come to church and they, they want spiritual leadership. They expect pastors to shepherd them, to be their pastor. But how are we to know that as pastors? Or as a pastor, should I expect if you're here that you just want me to shepherd your life? I've made that assumption before, and that does not always go well. These are all questions, and there's many more questions that are hard to answer. And therefore, the relationship between pastors and people needs to be defined. And what we think is best in doing that is membership. That membership is designed to provide clarity to who belongs to this body, to whom we are responsible for overseeing, shepherding, being examples to. It defines that relationship. So it defines the relationship between people and pastors, pastors and people, but also to people and to people, to one another. Who is the body? What people do you belong to? Who are your members, right? Who is the rest of the body that you belong to and how do you know that you belong to them or they belong to you? Again, these are important questions. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives the first command to the church and the command is about church discipline. In verse 15, he says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him it's his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, you're to take one or two with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. But what happens if he doesn't pay attention again? Well, if he doesn't pay attention to those people, then, he, then Jesus says, tell the church. And if he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you, which means put him out of the church. And so there's an issue of church discipline. When there's an issue of church discipline, and someone won't repent when they're corrected, they go through that process, you're to bring them to the church, Jesus says. But that begs the question, who is the church? Who? Who, who is the church? Did you, all Christians? Is it all the Christians in your town, all the Christians in your city, all the Christians in your state, all the Christians in the country, in the world? Who is the church that you're supposed to go and tell? Who are those actual people? And so there's an assumption that is made here. And I think the assumption is that people know who the church is. That the assumption is people know who belongs to one another, who the church is that you're to go tell, the people that are gathered together. And we see this in the New Testament, that people knew who belonged together. In Acts 2.41, after Peter is preaching, it says those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Now, if they're added to them, that means that the them were identifiable. They already knew who the them were so that you could add the 3,000 to those people, to that group. In verse 47, it says, they're praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. If they added to their number, that means they knew what number they already had. They knew who belonged and who didn't belong. And that wasn't just true of the believers, but that was also true of the unbelieving world. In Acts chapter 8, when Saul comes on the scene, who later becomes Paul, converted on the road of Damascus, it says in verse 3, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. 
He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So Paul was ravaging the church, and then he went to people's homes who belonged to the church. And so Paul knew who was in and out of the church. And how do they know? Well, because they gathered with the church, with the believers under the teaching of God's word. They were baptized in the church and participated in the Lord's Supper in the church. But today, how do we know who belongs to each individual church? Answer, I think through a formal membership process. And so formal membership, it's a tool to use to help identify who belongs so that we can all live consistently with who we are in Christ. It's a tool that we can use to help identify who is in, who is out, who as pastors we're responsible for, as you as a person know that we are responsible for shepherding you, that you know who you belong to in the church, who's a part of the body, who you are connected to practically speaking. It's a tool that we can use to help identify who belongs so that we can all live consistently with who we are in Christ. And so this leads to the final question, which is this. What is our membership process? For those of you who don't know, just four things here briefly. First is there's a membership class, four weeks long, meets on Sundays, uh, going to be at 9.15 with the following sessions, has been at 10.45, but 9.15 next door, primarily taught by Pastor Joel Swanson. We have two more sessions coming up, one starting September 24th, another one starting October 29th. So there's a membership class, and we go through the topic of membership. Statement of faith. What does it mean to be a member? Covenant. Have lots of conversations about the topic of membership over the course of those four weeks. After completing that class, and there's a member interview. You sit down with another pastor, typically Pastor Joel, and go through a series of questions like, when did you start following Christ? What is the gospel? When were you baptized? And other questions, talking through the covenant together. So there's a covenant, seven points of the covenant. And what's in the covenant is not anything outside of the Bible. It's just what's in the Bible. We're just putting it on paper and saying, this is what we are agreeing to. We're agreeing together to follow Christ. And during this interview, there's a great opportunity to ask questions just about the church, about being a member, whatever questions you might have. After that process, there's a signing of the covenant, which is simply it's just sent to you, and you sign it, just agreeing, this is what I'm going to live under. And again, this is all completely voluntary. We're voluntarily signing up to be members of one another. And then there's member meetings, which we have about four times a year. And at our member meetings, one of the things that we do is we welcome members. We bring everyone up on stage, and they just introduce themselves, share their names. We have someone share a testimony just about how God has worked in their life and welcome them into membership at the church. And it's a pretty uh, uh, harmless process, but it's helped to have, help, it has helped to have some formal process to know who belongs, to define these relationships between people and pastor, pastors and people and people and people. In closing, you know, some of you are probably sitting in a boat where you've been thinking about membership and you know, okay, that's what I need to do. 
and you just haven't signed up. So I'd encourage you to do that. Again, we have two more sessions coming up. September 24th, I think is what I said, and, and uh, October 29th, that you can do that here over the course of the next few months. And some of you are sitting in a spot where you're totally unsure. You're unsure if what I'm saying makes any sense, if uh, it's good, if it's right. You've maybe had some bad experiences, and so you're, you're skeptical of becoming a member of a church, and that's totally fine. That's totally fine. We want you to feel freedom to try to understand this. We don't want you just to do something that you, um, you don't really have full understanding of or you have questions about. And so if you have questions about church membership, we want to be totally available as pastors to you to ha- answer those questions. Whether it's after the service or whether it's uh, some other time you want to email, contact us. We'd be happy to sit down with you and just explain more. There's so many questions that it's obviously not possible to put everything into uh, you know, a 30 or so minute sermon. And so if you have questions, please, please ask those questions. We'd be happy to answer them. And here's our hope. Our hope is if you're not a member, that you would genuinely consider becoming one. Because we do believe that membership will help you live consistently with who you are in Christ. That, that is our hope and that is our belief. That membership will help you, help you live consistently with who you are in Christ.